How many of you have ever wrapped a Christmas present in a way that was intended to disguise what was in the present? Maybe you've ever done that. Maybe you've done that recently. And the, the conventional wisdom is that you, you wrap a gift in a bigger box, a small gift, and make it as small as you can, in a bigger box or boxes to throw off the recipient of what it might be. Big presents catch our attention, but sometimes something smaller is more significant and worth more than a large gift. An engagement ring comes in a two-inch by two-inch box. Small gift, big significance. You've heard the phrase, big things come in small packages. And in our passage this morning from Luke chapter 2, a big thing comes in a small package. And I invite you to turn there with me to, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35. It's on page 1591. As we have a story of Mary and Joseph presenting Jesus at the temple. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word this morning in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8. Uh, scripture tells us that as Ezra, the priest, read the Scripture, God's people stood up. Now, they did it from, from sunrise to noon, five or six hours. Promise we won't do that, but I do invite you to stand in honor of God's Word this morning if you're able to do so. Listen to God's Word. On the eighth day... When it was time to circumcise Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, as we have stood in honor of your word, we acknowledge that we sit underneath its authority. We affirm that thy word is truth. And so we ask that the truth of your word would find lodging place, a lodging place in our hearts and that we will be changed as a result and will be more like Jesus, the Lord's Christ. This we ask in his name. Amen. In Luke's gospel, the temple is very important. Luke starts off, you may remember, with the angel Gabriel in the temple appearing to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, who were John, who becomes known as John the Baptist, his parents. And Scripture describes them as well along in years. Fast forward a couple of chapters to our passage this morning. Mary and Joseph, maybe 14, are in the temple 40 days after Jesus was born. Now you're you're maybe asking why they're in the temple six weeks after Jesus. Jesus is born, and really for a couple of different reasons. The first is that Mary's purification after having a child was required in the law of Moses. And if you were uh, paying attention to the passage, you see where, according to the law, according to God's word, is repeated four or five times there. And the law required that after women uh, had a child, they were ceremonially unclean, six weeks later as they go to the temple, they would become ceremonially clean uh, at the temple. It involved a year-old lamb and a sin offering as part of the process of becoming clean again. The second reason that they were at the temple was the presentation of their firstborn child, in this case, Jesus. And it's interesting because Mary and Joseph here uh, fall under the poverty provision, if you will, for her purification. Uh, The law said if you couldn't afford a lamb, which was more expensive, you could offer a cheaper alternative. Doves 
or pigeons, depending on what was in season then, migratory patterns, what was available, you could offer birds, cheaper birds. So Mary and Joseph, not being of much means, Scripture tells us offered the bird option. And in Israel, the firstborn male was dedicated to the Lord. It's a reference to the Exodus story, in particular in Exodus chapter 13, referring to the Passover. And you may remember what the Passover was. When God told Pharaoh, let my people go, and he didn't, he sends these plagues. And the tenth plague being the death of all the firstborn Egyptian sons. And if the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost of the Israelites, the angel of death passed over and the child did not die. Now normally, parents would present their son and as they did so, would, would pay a tribute. It was uh, um, a ransom fee. It was a redemption price. That was a process. It wasn't very much, about 15 shekels, which in our day was about $4. So it wasn't like it was a lot of money. It was more symbolic. But, but notice in the text here that it does say that Mary and Joseph presented two pigeons but that was for the first reason they went, for her purification. It doesn't say anything about them paying what would be normal and what would be customary, a redemption price or a tribute or a ransom fee for the firstborn. They did present him, but did not pay any money. Now, something happening here, something's happening big here, that's easy to miss. They don't pay a redemption fee for this small baby. And the bigger theme is that he was brought to the temple because he belonged to the temple. Yes, he goes home with Mary and Joseph after this as a six-week-old baby. But what happens immediately after this section in Luke 2? Luke skips over to when Jesus is 12. And what happens? Where is he found? You can cheat. You can look down in your Bible. Where is he found, Bible scholars? Not a trick question and not necessarily a rhetorical question. He's found where? In the temple. And it says that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were amazed at his understanding. It's found in the temple. And in his ministry, when Jesus comes to the temple, his adult ministry, he argues with the Pharisees and teachers of the law. The parable of the vineyard is a rejection of Jesus that's picked up in Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected, this temple idea, has become the chief cornerstone. So, so what, 
what Luke's doing here, and you've, you've got you to catch this. Something big is happening here with this small baby. Big things come in small packages. You have Simeon in the temple, not just looking for a normal child, and not just looking for even a special child, but he's looking for the Lord's Christ. This is a reason that the temple was built in the first place. It's the reason the temple existed. In Israel, in Judaism, you would go to the temple to meet God and to offer sacrifices, to atone for sin, to become ceremonially clean again. The temple, first it was a tabernacle as they were uh, in the wilderness, Then it became not so much a mobile place, but a place in Jerusalem where you would go again to meet God, to experience His very presence. It was a big deal. Mary and Joseph, in presenting Jesus, maybe didn't totally understand all what was happening, But it was the coming of the temple builder, a new temple, a new way to meet with God. That's what's going on. We're seeing the beginning of that here in Luke 2. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Here we see Simeon. And we don't know much about Simeon other than what's described about him here. He's a, he's a godly man. He's a devout man. He's in tune to the Holy Spirit whose bucket list has been just checked off. Lord, I've seen your salvation. My life's complete. I'm done. Take me. In parentheses, a side note, for those of you who are here who may be considered a senior adult or senior saint, and I don't exactly know where the cutoff there is. I think at Hardee's at 55 you get free coffee. Maybe that's considered senior. The older I get, the more north senior becomes. But we see here in Simeon, and just a little bit later in Anna, we didn't take time to read that, but we see folks well advanced in years, as Zechariah and Elizabeth are described in Luke 1. But guess what? They're not necessarily on the golf course. Not necessarily a bad thing. But they haven't mailed it in. There's this picture here of constancy and devotion and love and service for those who are well along in years. So, those of you and me who are in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, your work's not done. The neat thing at a church like First Pres is that we have folks 
five, six years old, 85, 90, I can look out and sometimes see four generations on the same pew. We have this sense of God's faithfulness. And you, who have walked with the Lord for many years, even decades, you have something to give. You may not can physically do as much as you've done. You may get not have the energy that you must once may have had, but you are important and you have something to contribute. Like Simeon, like Anna, don't think that you're not valuable. The Lord will continue to use him as you are led by the Spirit. Okay, in the parentheses, I'm off my soapbox, okay? Senior adults, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You're important. Shake your head, right? Yes. When Simeon held this small, now probably 10-pound baby, it was a big deal. He, along with a whole nation, was waiting for the end of Israel's exile. All wasn't rosy with Israel. The Old Testament story describes how even though Israel was called to be a nation set apart, even though Israel was part of God's special plan and special people, they constantly ran after other gods. Sounds a lot like us. God punished them. They were in exile. They were conquered by other nations. But in the Old Testament, even with them being in exile... Even with them being punished, there's always, always, always an underlying theme, a note of hope and restoration. Isaiah in his prophecy says this. Now, now listen to the promise of restoration to Israel and also to us. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem even though they've chased after other gods. And proclaim to her that her hard service, her exile, has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the deserts a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain, hill, and hill shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You hear this theme, this very clarion call to hope and to restoration. God does not leave Israel in exile. God does not leave Israel in captivity and bondage. There is deliverance. There is hope. Israel's slavery ended. Their exile expired when God came in a small baby. Big things come in small packages. When Simeon took this six-week-old baby, the Lord's Christ, it was the promise of God restoring his people and God restoring his presence. This baby that Simeon took in his arms in verse 21 called Jesus, Jesus from the Hebrew Yeshua, get the word, the name Joshua, meaning salvation, 
meaning salvation has come. It's a big deal. Jesus is the new temple. He is God. John says in his gospel, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, if you will. He dwelt among us. He became a baby and took on skin and sinew. In Anchorman, a TV show, the main character, Ron Burgundy, is fond of saying, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. What is happening here in this passage is a big deal. And you may be sitting here thinking, that's cool. A nation, a group of people, million years ago, sometime in the past, get freedom. What's that have to do with me? I'm not Jewish. I'm not from Israel. What does it have to do with my life on December the 21st, 2014? I don't really understand all this temple thing and regulations. If you've paid attention to the passage here a little bit, you see in this narrative, this story, this episode, that the temple is not just for a group of people a long time ago. Simeon says that this small baby has big news. A light of revelation for the Gentiles. And that scripture's way of saying, that's you and that's me. Anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile. We don't call each other Gentiles today, but that's a reference for the rest of us, for non-Jewish people. In this small child, salvation has come not just for one nation, but for all. The angel earlier in this chapter heralds says good news, you've heard it, we've read it, we've sung it. I bring you good news of great joy for some of the people. Good news of great joy for this nation. Now what does he say? I bring you good news of great joy for whom? For all the people, meaning me and you. So this is for us today, this morning, and it's big. The angel says this, all the people, we see in God gathering to himself, not just his people, Israel, but people that John describes in Revelation, where uh, in Revelation chapter 8, there's a scene that John says has this vision that there's too many people to count, not just Israel. And he describes a scene where people become 
come before the throne of God of every nation and of every tongue and of every people group and of every tribe before God. That's the scene. That's why it affects us today. That's why it has to do with our lives today. Because in the reality, friends, the reality of our lives on December the 21st, the fourth Sunday of Advent, 2014, the reality is that we still, like Israel, live in exile. There's a removal from our home to another place by captors. Home being that place of security and grace and love and safety. And our exile is not at the hands of Babylonians, of Assyrians, or in this case here, of Romans in Simeon's time. But if you go online and scan the news headlines, or if you are one of the few who still gets a daily newspaper, and scan the headlines, you know that something's not right. You know that we are still in exile. That we're not home. And even as we look around at the church, Even our church and our lives, we know we're not home. We know that something's off. We're in exile. We live in the fall. We've been deported to another place that's vastly different from creation, where Adam and Eve enjoyed a perfect world. That perfect world was shattered when sin entered, and now we're left in that world. It's where Israel was here in Luke 2. Our exile means that we're on the fourth floor of the intensive care unit praying for a 40-year-old mother, mother of three elementary school children who has a brain aneurysm right now. Our exile means that we're praying for another 40-year-old mom who went to the doctor and found out she has breast cancer and started chemo on Friday. Our exile means that at GHS, that same hospital, a couple floors up, a church member's mom is dying. That's what it means to be in exile. That's just several examples. What exile experiences did you bring into the doors this morning? You have your own. I have my own. Because something's not right. We know this to be true. But the good news, friends, is that 
God, here in the text, does not leave us in exile, away from home, oppressed. What we see in our passage is that God provides an answer to our exile. God provides a big liberator for our captivity in the small baby. Big things come in small packages. A few years ago, there was a commercial that the Marines produced. And it began, there are a few who move toward the sounds of chaos, ready to respond at a moment's notice. First responders, Marines, are taught that when there's danger, rather than the natural inclination to run away from danger, when there's danger, they're taught to run toward the danger. God's answer to our exile, to our danger, is not just like the Marines, like first responders, to run toward the danger, but rather into the danger itself. And there's a difference. God ran into the jaws of death when they laid this Lord's Christ 33 years later into the grave. And as a result, he destroyed the danger from within. He broke the captivity. This Christ himself went into exile for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went into captivity for our freedom. And while we may look around and know these exile stories that we know and hear about and experience, aneurysms and adulteries, cancer and killings. Just was it yesterday afternoon, two New York City police officers were shot mid-afternoon for no apparent reason, killed. We know that exile is not over in our world when we hear about these things and when we experience these things. We know it's not over, but the good news is if we continue to read past Luke 2, we know that it's been defeated, that we've been brought back home for those of us who've trusted in the small baby that Simeon scooped up into his arms called Jesus. The Lord saves. Where are you in exile this morning? What has you in bondage? What has you in slavery? Is it fear? Is it fear that a doctor's report might mean chemo treatments for you at GHS or wherever? Is it fear that as you move into your senior years, like Simeon and, and Anna, just a little bit later, that you know that there's not as much years left in your life. And there's a fear and there's a realization of your own mentality. What are those things that paralyze you and keep you in bondage this morning? 
I exhort you to take Jesus in your arms to have peace. And the challenge for us as we close this morning is found in Simeon's words in verse 34. He, he, tells, he tells Mary and Joseph, this child will cause the rise and fall of many. The counterintuitive thing, the paradox, is the only way to rise with Jesus is to get low yourself. And it's interesting, the, the gospel, the narrative, the Christmas story, it appears shepherds, lowly shepherds, Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of earning power, couldn't even afford the lamb. It doesn't appear to those who necessarily have it all together. Some of you may know what the Stockholm Syndrome is. It's when folks who have been captured develop an emotional bond to their captors. It was named after a bank robbery in Sweden um, when the hostages were released six days later. They identified with their captors. They even defended their captors. We often hold on to those things that enslave us and defend and rationalize those addictions, those sins, rather than get low and humble ourselves before the Lord's Christ. Simeon lived a life waiting on God's promises, even in exile. What about you? What does your exile look like? How are you waiting? All was it well with Israel. No political power dealing with the rage of Herod and the slaughter of firstborns, maybe not much different from our lives today, just dressed in different clothes. Here's why this passage gives us hope, friends. I'm going to try to say it as, as simple as possible. In our exile, God doesn't stand far off aloof. God runs toward us in our suffering, in our chaos, and dives in. We see it here in Luke 2 with this baby Jesus. And friends, God doesn't just provide temporary relief. God doesn't just put us in a refugee camp. He provides a bigger solution in the form of the small baby Jesus. Salvation has come. Friends, take this small baby. Take him in your arms this morning just like Simeon who was well advanced in years. For a big salvation and a peace that passes all understanding. Let us pray. Lord, we acknowledge that in this small baby that we read about this morning, 
your salvation has come. We know that you free us from those things that enslave us. And that when we do that, we can depart in peace because of Jesus. May we take hold of that this morning, those of us who are struggling and need this Jesus to be our salvation, to be our peace. Come to us, we pray in his name. Amen.